We're going to continue through the book of Colossians. Remember, we're talking about in Christ alone and how important Christ is in our lives, how important Christ is to knowing God in the fullness of who Jesus is, is God. Today, we're going to be going through a passage that I've got to be honest with you, is daunting. It's daunting. I easily, in my experience with just speaking, I could take two verses at a time, and uh, I'm going to be taking, boy, as much as seven or eight. And in these verses, it's just a lot of content. It's a lot of theology, which is a big word to say, just the thinking and understanding of Scripture. And, and in so much as there's so much in this, I'm going to encourage you to do something, um, I encourage you that as we're going through kind of verse by verse, when and if you have questions, write them down. I'm, I guarantee that as I go verse by verse, there's going to be questions that, that I'm not able to answer because of the breadth of the information that we're going through. That, that in so much as when you have a question and write it down, come and ask me. Come and ask Pastor Mitch. Come and ask anybody on staff. Ask each other. Talk about, well, what do you think this verse really means? Because I don't understand this part. I really believe that we are better as a follower of Jesus and better as a church the more biblically literate we are. And the way in which we do that is we ask questions, hard questions of the Bible. Because I believe, and I I, I think you believe it as well, that the Word of God is strong enough to hold up to our questions, right? So write down questions, all of them, anything that comes up. I'll read through these eight verses, and, uh, and we'll go there together. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Tough stuff, right? Lord, help us. Help us. Some of us need a little more coffee. Some of us are just waking up. Some of us This is just new language and new thoughts, and Lord, help us understand all of this to, Lord God, understand you more. That's our endeavor today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. November 12, 1993, I was in college, 
And uh, one of my roommates was a state wrestler. The other one was, uh, I don't know what belt he had, but he was a karate guy that liked beating me up a lot. And uh, this new thing came out, and they were really interested in it. It was just kind of an interesting thing. It was called Ultimate Fighting Champions. How many of you heard of the UFC? A few of you. It's kind of a brutal thing. I agree with you. It's a pretty brutal thing to watch. But we were really interested as kids or as teenagers because, um, you know, everybody was kind of talking during that time, what was the best, like, fighting style, right? And so what this thing did, especially the first one, is it took all these different fighting styles and stuck them in a ring together, and, and everybody just beat each other up, right? And it was all different kinds. So it was karate people and taekwondo and kickboxers, and, and there was a sumo guy that was like 400 pounds, right? And everybody was talking like, who's going to win? Who's, gonna, you know, who's going to be the best? Oh, this is the best because this technique is the best. Or he's the best because this guy's the best. And, and everybody was talking, but nobody was talking about just one guy, Royce Gracie. He was out of Brazil, and nobody expected jiu-jitsu to be anything. But the guy just cleaned up on everybody, right? It was this is grappling thing where people tried hitting him, and he just grabbed him, dropped him to the floor, put him in a submission roll, hold in about 30 seconds, and it was over. It was just kind of boring, right? And even now, if you follow UFC, it's, a, it's like the foundation of most of the fights that go on now is this jiu-jitsu style of putting people in submission and and it, it's, a, it's a big part. But the whole argument that went on literally for like a month before and after was like, which style's better? This is better, that's better, this is better, that's better. And what I've noticed, whether it has to do with UFC fighting styles or anything else, is that the church kind of has that same philosophy about faith, right? Oh, is, is this church better than that church? Is this idea better than that idea? Which one is greater? Which one is supreme? Which one is best, right? But not only which one is best, I, I think the arguments then become a little bit more centric on ourselves, in which people are asking, well, where, where does your church stand on this topic? Is, is it the best because it's the best for me? How, how do you feel about this social issue? And if you come in line with how I feel about this social issue, then I want to come to your church, or I want to come underneath your philosophy of, of belief. Or how, how do you feel about, you know, the way that people do this? Or more importantly for me, maybe how do you feel about this political viewpoint? And in so much, then that becomes the most important argument in whether or not I can be a part of that community. So whether it is Coke or Pepsi, whether it's UFC, whether it is Jordan or LeBron who's the best, which obviously, Jordan, right? <laughs> Whatever we, my dad's bigger than your dad, right? That's, a, that's one that comes out 10, 11 years old. It always comes out. It seems like there are all these questions that come into the question of who and where am I placing my faith? But our passage today unpacks it all and asks the foundational question, who is Jesus? Jesus asked it of his disciples, who do the people say that I am? It still is, in my opinion, the greatest question of all time, the greatest question to us today. Because if we can answer that question, all the other questions mean nothing. The question is, if he is truly God, that I really have to come in line. If he truly is everything he claims to be, 
And if I'm willing to have faith that Jesus is who he claimed to be, then I have to fall in line. In fact, I need to fall to my knees and say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. See, because if it all filters through my decision-making paradigm about what I like in a religion or a faith, at some point, it's really very tainted because I'm finite, I'm limited. But, but if we're willing to say, Jesus, what would you have of me? Because I understand who you are. It changes everything. In fact, I've mentioned it before. But C.S. Lewis, in one of his radio broadcasts, brought up what has now been called the trilemma, which is the question of who Jesus is. The trilemma is he's one of three, three, three things. He can only be one of three things. He's either a lunatic, because only a lunatic would claim themselves to be God when they're not. Or he's an out-out liar, and if you believe that he called himself God and yet he isn't, then he's got to be a liar. Or he's God. He can't simply be a good teacher or a good guy. Because if he's a good teacher and good guy and calls himself God, then he's liar or lunatic. But, according to C.S. Lewis, if we are willing to be honest with ourselves and say, who is he really? We have to make the decision of one of three, not one foot in or one foot out. So I'm going to pray one more time. I'm going to to ask you to pray a simple prayer with me. And this prayer is, Lord Jesus, will you help me see you today for who you are? I think it changes the way we think. It changes the way we live. It changes our relationships when we see Jesus for who he is. So if you just close your eyes for just a moment, would you ask that? Can I see you, Jesus? Can I know who you are? Oh, Lord, help us see you. Help us to know you. in Jesus' name. Who he is? Who is Jesus? The claim is that he is God. In fact, right away in verse 15, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. When you see him, you've seen God. These images are something that we can't see. We can't see God out in society. We can't see an image that is exactly him. There are a lot of images out there throughout all religions that would claim this image is God. And even the images of Jesus. I grew up in a church that had a a baptismal tank in the back with these really high ceilings. And we had this giant painting of Jesus coming in the clouds. And I remember thinking as a kid, you know, sitting on the front row just staring at him like that. That's what Jesus looks like. Uh, he was blonde hair and blue-eyed, right? I don't know. I, I, I don't know what Jesus looked like, but we don't know the image, but we know in Jesus is the complete image of God. Regardless of what his physical likeness is, we know that when we've seen Jesus, we've seen the image of God. Also, it says, the firstborn over all creation... Now, this is where somebody gets stumbled up. I even had to really dig into this. Firstborn isn't necessarily mean that Jesus was created 
And this we know because I'm going to read some other scriptures. We know from the fullness of scripture that Jesus was never created. He always had been. So why does it say firstborn? It means that he is like receiving the inheritance of the Father. He has all the rights of the Father. He has all the identity of the Father. It's like, it's like the inheritance is being fully handed down. All of what the Father has is given to the Son. So that's why it says firstborn. But we also see other claims of, that Jesus makes of being God in John 14. There, the disciples were asking about who he was, and, and Jesus answered, Don't you know, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Later in Colossians, we see, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews 1, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand the majesty in heaven. So all four of these scriptures that we've read so far make it very clear. The claims of Jesus, I am God. The claims of Jesus, he is God. We also see in verse 16 that we've read in Colossians that he is creator. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth. Think about heaven and earth. The detail and the expanse. The detail and the expanse. If you've ever looked at a microscope and how small and detailed everything is that would hold everything together from, from the atomic level to the cellular level on up. And then not only the microscope, but the greatest telescopes that would reach out into space and still the detail. All made through Jesus, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. There's a whole part of this universe that we don't see. There's a whole part of this room we don't see. The existence of oxygen, the existence of light, all of these things that we don't fully understand, the visible and the invisible, all created by Jesus. All created by that guy. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all those things, all the systems of this world created by him in his control, all things have been created through him and for him. I'd like to think some things are created for me because they're mine. But they're not. All of this was created with specific intent. The details, the plans, by him, Jesus, for him. Not only that, we see he is before all things, verse 17. Jesus has always been there. There was never a day that Jesus was a baby. Well, he was a baby here on this planet, but he never started out. There was never a starting point in history. And guess what? There's not even an end point uh, Revelations 1 calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end before all time. Time is a construct simply for him to, for us to fully understand who he is. That's how vast he is. He is eternal. He is infinite. 
He is without beginning. He is without end. And we're just a blip in the middle of it. And yet, he is trying to make himself known to us. So he is eternal. He is before all things. He is sustainer. And in him, all things hold together. Think about that. All of the forces of the universe, all of the things that we, we study in physics, all of the, the cells in our body with the electrodes and the neutrons all holding together, everything in my life being held together, sustained through Jesus. He's not simply a swear word or something we start at the beginning of our, our meal, at dinner time, and our prayer. Jesus is holding us all together, every cell and every planet, every galaxy and every universe, all powerful. And here's the thing. Although he's holding it all together, he is endeavoring today to reveal himself to you. He is trying to show himself to you. He's got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things to hold together. There is an expanse of all the universes to hold together. And today, the voice that is calling to you is Jesus. The voice that is calling to you is his spirit calling out to us, wanting to know us. Scripture even calls us his friend. That's big. So not only is he God, creator, eternal, sustainer, he's over the church. This is his. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. This is, this is not... This is not Pastor Mark's church. It's not even really Portview Church. It is Christ's church. He is the head of this church. We as the church are trying our best to be led by him. We're trying our best for him to, to, to follow him. You know, it was funny the other day. Um, we don't have landlines here anymore for the offices. So we have on our cell phones, it goes directly to all of our cell phones. One is primary at any given time. And so if you, if you call the church number, you may not be calling the church office. We could be out during that time and answering the phone. And uh, we were, I think we were in the car, Christine and I, and somebody called and I, I picked up the phone and they said, can I talk to the owner of this establishment? And uh, immediately, I, I, I just didn't know what to say, you know. I, you know part of me, I, I was starting to get snarky, but I just said, I said, no, this is a church. And Christine next to me heard it, you know, and she's like, tell him it's Jesus. <laughs> tell him it's Jesus. But then what do I do, you know? Well, Jesus isn't here right now. No, he's here right now. Jesus, Jesus can't talk right now? No, he's still speaking. <laughs> Needless to say, she took us off the call list, which we appreciate. <laughs> so this is his. Now, here's the thing. We're a bunch of human beings. We're flawed, 
right? If you're looking for a perfect church and you're new here, you have not found it. Keep looking, but you're not going to find it. We're a bunch of individuals who have struggled but are holy in Christ Jesus. We still flaw it sometimes, but we are holy in Christ Jesus, made new in him, and we're doing our best to simply lift up Jesus, right? To simply lift up the name of Jesus, not only here but around the neighborhood. Our go teams are going up. Why? Not only to find children, but we are called to seek and save the lost, right? And we are going to lift up Jesus everywhere we go, whatever we do, in our workplace, in our homes. This is, this is and for that matter, every church is his. Any church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, it's his church. Well, sometimes we get a little fleshy and we try to take it over, right? But the best we can do is to get out of the way. Say, Lord, this is your church lead us. He's the head of the church, the body. It says that he's the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, Jesus established this precedent in the resurrection, the firstborn from the dead. In fact, he was the first one to come alive after death. But first fruit, it says, the firstborn, 1 Corinthians 15 says not only firstborn, but first fruit. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when you, when you have a harvest coming, and you, let's say you have an apple orchard, you can go out and you pick that first apple. It's the first good apple of the season. That's the first fruit. It's the best. And we, we say here we give our first, first and our best. So that first percentage of the harvest we give to God of our personal time and our money and our gifts, right? But in this passage, he's the first that was dead and not dead anymore. That means there's a harvest coming. There's a harvest of individuals. The full harvest is coming. He's the first fruit, the firstborn from among the dead. But guess what? We're going to rise with him. All of the struggles with this body, all of the struggles of pain that we have will be gone because we too Though these bodies will fail us someday when these bodies are cast off, we'll have new ones. We have people at home today that are watching us because their bodies want to let them be here with us. We're praying for Gary. Praying for you, Gary. We're praying for John. John Blazik broke his arm this week. John, we're praying for you. Right? Some days our bodies hurt a little bit more than others. Some days they, they fail when we're young. Some days they fail when we're old. At the end of the day, we have a hope beyond this because Christ is the firstborn, the first fruit. We can trust that there's a future beyond this body. He is the creator of new life. It's it's who Jesus is, but it's also what Jesus has done. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. 
He revealed to us who God is completely. The fullness of the deity was in Jesus. Not like just an image of him, right? Not like a photocopy of him. Not, not like he's kind of like God, right? He is the fullness of God. He's not similar, not a part of God. Not one of many gods, but singular, right? Let's, let's talk theology for a minute because there's some fancy words we'll get through and some, most of you know them, some of you might not, but we are theists. We believe there's one God, right? There's one God overall thing. There can only be one God. If there are multiple gods that were all powerful, then who started what, right? So one God, the triune God, theists, right? We are monotheists in so much we believe that there's just one. There are people out there that are polytheists, many gods, Right? We believe there's one God. Some would say that I'm agnostic. An agnostic believes that there is a God, but he's way off somewhere just watching us. He doesn't care at all. He, he, they use the, the clock analogy. Wound up a clock that is all of the universe and set it down, and he just sits back and watches it. But we see very straight in Scripture that Jesus came and inserted himself into time inserted himself into this place and sent his Holy Spirit that guides and interacts with us on a daily basis, right? He is here. He is with us. We are not agnostic. We are individuals that know God is here. He has come in all the fullness to dwell here on earth, and to reveal himself to us. Not only that, he fixed that which was broken. Verse 22, and through him to reconcile, I like the word fix there, to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He came to reconcile all things, even this broken earth. We've never seen this world the way it's meant to be. We've never seen this world the way it's meant to be. Sin has, sin has destroyed this world, brought disease and sickness and corruption into this world and to the people around us. There's corruption and sin. We're broken, need to get fixed. You know, in Scripture we see at the end of the book of Revelations that heaven, right, the heaven that we all think is something about clouds and harps, heaven is actually going to come rest on earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where this world will be like it's supposed to be. And we're going to dwell here, right? Read it, Revelations 20, 21, 22. Really exciting stuff, right? He came to reconcile all things. He came to fix all things. I'm one thing that needs to get fixed. Now, here we have to step back just a moment because it says here, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. This is not simply to say that what Jesus did on the cross was universal and everybody that has ever been born is now forgiven of all sins and it's done and, and don't have to worry about anything. How you live, what you believe, it's all things. That's a term that is often called universalism. This scripture is not meaning universalism, and there's other passages to, that shows us that there is a reality of separation from God that does exist in multiple scripture. Remember, we don't just take one word out of a verse, but we use all of scripture to understand these big ideas. For instance, 
Second Thessalonians shows us very good. There are those who will be separated from God in, in eternity. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So that kind of undergirds that whole thing that there is no universalism. But there's universal access. Just because not everybody doesn't have to know Jesus to go, but reality is Jesus is creating access for everybody. There is nobody in all of the world and all of creation that cannot have access to God. Through Jesus Christ, he has made himself available. Jesus desires everybody to be saved and to know him, to come into relationship with him. It's a huge idea, but it's real. The redemption will be real. The redemption will be complete. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is what Jesus did. When we come to Jesus and we come to know Jesus, we become holy without blemish, free from any accusations. This goes back to this idea that I'm flawed. Everybody knows we are flawed. There may be some narcissists out there that don't think they're flawed, but for the most part, we all know we're flawed. Not only flawed to ourselves and our own expectations, but flawed to God and the expectations he's placed on all of society. But in Jesus Christ, we can be made holy. Favor from God. Something we did not deserve, yet we receive. Without blemish. The older I get, the more blemishes I find. just going to be honest with you. Not only, not only physically, but here and here too. Right? But when Jesus comes, no, no more blemishes. No more, no, nothing's left over. That's why we get a new body without the blemishes someday. Right? It's the finished work of Jesus. That's why in his eyes when he looks at you, he doesn't see the faults. He doesn't see any of the leftovers of our pain or our struggle or our failures. He doesn't see it. In fact, he says, free from accusations, spiritual or otherwise. He looks at our life, and when he sees Jesus in us, there's no accusations against us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Who is Jesus to you? Jesus has been different things to me at different points in my life. Jesus in a season of my life was a confidence when I had none. 
right? My adolescence when I had no confidence for what my future would hold or who I was or what my relationships were really going to be like. And I felt severely insecure. Jesus was my strength. There were times of my life that I felt lonely. And Jesus was a friend that stayed close to me in my loneliness. There were times in my life when I felt such grief and sadness from loss that I did never I never knew a pain like that before. And he was my comforter. He's been the one when I did not know which way to turn or which decision to make, calmed my mind. helped me make a decision and stick to it. He is the one who took all of my frustrations and all of my weaknesses and my pettiness and began building me into someone else. Jesus took all of my regret, all of my sense of failure. And he pulled me up and said, I don't see it anymore. You see, if he's the guy who claimed and is God, one of the triune God, if if he is that, if he is the infinite one that has no beginning and no end, if he is the creator of all things we have ever seen and unseen, if he is the one who holds it all together and sustains everything in all the universe, if he is the one who leads and guides our life, then guess what? I better act like he is. Simply sit back and and give him supremacy in my life, not just supremacy theologically. Like we we went through some big ideas here today, some, some big ideas that we could tear apart for the next hour, right? But if if he is all that he claimed to be, it should drastically change how I live. I listened to a sermon I passed away this year, a gentleman by the name of Tim Keller. When I, was, when I was preaching a lot in Ukraine, he was my pastor because I would listen to him every Monday, right? Um, and uh, in a sermon I listened to last week, he said, if God were to ask you to do something ridiculous, what would you do? Most of us would try to figure it out. Most of us would try to come to an answer. An answer that was palatable for us and got us out of the extreme commitment. And as a hyperbole, as we see in Scripture used occasionally, hyperbole of saying something extreme, Tim Keller said, if, God, if Jesus were to show up today and to speak into your life and say, cut off your hand, what's your response? And he said, if Jesus is all of those things, 
The only question is how high? Hyperbole. Nobody get a knife, right? If Jesus is who he says he is, we have one reaction, and that's to fall to our knees and say, yes, Lord. There's nothing to compare. There's no LeBron or Jordan question here or what's the best fighting style or Coke or Pepsi. There's no comparison. It can only be him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going we're gonna to sing a song, Jesus at the Center of It All. And I just simply want you to ask this question of you today. Just, just ask it of yourself. Who do I really believe Jesus is? Because if we believe he is who he says he is, if we're willing to put faith in that, it's life transformative. Listen, if he does all that, he's big enough for all of our needs. If he, does, if he can put all of the universe together and he can hold it together, he knows you, he's got you. We just simply ask to place our faith in him. So today as we sing this song, if you would like to respond in a practical way, there, there's some simple expressions of surrender that we do in worship. Some of you may be comfortable doing them. Some of you maybe not. Some, some practical expressions of surrender is we just simply raise our hands to God. Maybe you've never done that before. You're looking around saying, what are these people doing? It's an act of worship. I understand who you are, Christ, and I am in this moment responding physically to the spiritual truth of who you are. Let me give everything to you, Lord. Some of you, in a more sense of humility, are being touched right now with the reality of who Jesus is. And maybe you want to do something a little bit more practical and you just want to find a place to kneel. You can turn in your seats. You can kneel right where you are. We're not a church that has like a, a kneeling pad right now. Don't, don't pursue doing that in the future. But if you've got a place in your heart where you say, as we sing this song, the, the Christ that is, so, that is so important in my life, I am going to do exactly that and kneel before him. Find a place to kneel. Whether it's physically raising our hands or kneeling, uh, it all needs to be, and I desire you to make it an expression of your heart. Simply hold it here. Simply hold it here. But to simply say, Jesus, I make you first above all else. Heavenly Father, as we take these moments in worship together, you are the center of it all, Lord. In Jesus Christ, we can know the Father. In Jesus Christ, we experience the Spirit, the three-in-one. And in Jesus Christ, the triune God is being held together and brought to us so that we can make it practical. Thank you that in Jesus, we knew God, the exact image, the fullness, the expression of God here on earth, and that we can know him today. So, Lord, we worship you and we pray. In Jesus' name.